Uh, I would encourage you to open your Bibles up with me to Matthew chapter 5. And while we're turning there, I am going to read a little bit out of Jeremiah just to sort of prime our hearts this morning. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not uh, like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after these days declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, uh, they will not teach again each man to his neighbor, and each man to his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. And from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. This is the word of the Lord. Um, you know, I, I read this, I start us off with this instead of just jumping into the, uh, the passage today because today we're talking about fulfilling the law. And I think we need to understand the, the true intent of God's law from the very beginning. We're going to get into that quite a bit today. Um, but I will never forget the time when I was a young probably fourth or fifth grade kid, when I broke my wrist, it was not fun, okay? Um, and I've always been a little stubborn. Um, the Lord has, has cured me of that to a large degree um, through sanctification, uh, through being married, and, uh, and, and through uh, just general, you know, teaching me not to rely on myself, you know, but to look to Christ. Um, but, but I I was a pretty stubborn kid. I don't know if my mom would agree or not, but I was a relatively stubborn kid. And, uh, um, <laughs> and I remember when I had this, uh, this fall and I broke my wrist, I, um, I, I was like, well, it hurts, but it's not broken, right? I tried to, tried to ignore it for about a week. After about a week, my mom was like, you know, that thing's still hurting. We might go have it x-rayed. And I was like, you know, I, I, don't, I didn't want to, but... It happened, and uh, come to find out, it was broken. Um, I had a broken wrist, and for a week, I just put a splint on it and was like, "It's going to be fine. It's fine," you know. Um, but it it wasn't fine. It didn't work. That my my plan for fixing it did not work. I kept hurting it worse throughout the week because I would try to do things, and finally, um, when we went into the doctor and they x-rayed it and they said, yes, you have a broken wrist. Um, and the only way to really repair this is we've got to put it in a cast and we've got to let it rest. It has to be reformed, right? And then we have to allow it to rest so it can heal. And if that didn't happen, it would not have healed, or at least it wouldn't have healed properly. I probably wouldn't have the full functioning of the wrist today that I have. I'm thankful for that. And when I was thinking about what is the law of Christ, what's the law of God, and, how, and, and what does it mean for it to be fulfilled, the thing I kept coming back to in my mind was, was the memory of my hand being put in a cast. Because the thing about the cast is it had a specific purpose. It was there to hold my arm in its natural position so the wrist could heal right? Now, I mean, it was, it, was, it was fused there. I couldn't do anything with it because that cast held it in place, 
It was also there so my friends could sign it, but that was another thing, you know. Um, the main reason it was there was to hold my arm in place so that I couldn't move it because this wrist had to be held steady so that it would have time to heal. It had to be held in its natural position so it would heal right. And the law of God is a lot like that for us. Because what we, what we don't realize oftentimes, at least we don't naturally recognize how broken the world really is. I think most people understand that the world is a messed up place. Most people, especially the last month or so, um, but most people recognize the world is a pretty messed up and broken place where, where it seems like things happen that shouldn't happen. You know, you ever notice how people in Chicago were still surprised when someone gets murdered? You know, I mean, like, uh, it's, it's like it's always happening. These gang battles are happening, but it's still shocking, even though it's all over the news. That's the curse of the modern age, isn't it? Of living with so all these, like, we know too much. I don't want to know how messed up and broken the world is. It was better when we didn't know. <laughs> but, but we know, like, this is a, a broken place, and yet it still shocks us when we see something horrible, even though so many horrible things happen all the time. Why does it shock us? Because deep down inside we know this is not how it's supposed to be. Now we may not, we, people may not always fully realize that that is the, the root of that shock when bad things happen. But it is. We know the world really should be better. That's why people are so afraid when they see the world crumbling. Back in the 70s, it was, oh no, we have another ice age coming. Now it's, oh no, global warming. And I don't know what it's going to be in 20 years. It's going to be something because we're, we're so on edge because we see things around us aren't right. I believe that what God has done for us by giving us the law was he gave us a cast which he formed around us it seems restrictive at times uh, because, well, we're hearts in rebellion against him. So it seems very restrictive. It seems like God is trying to just hold us and, 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 and he doesn't want us to have any fun. He doesn't want us to go do whatever we want, like spoiled children, right? But the Father is looking at us and saying, listen, I know what's best for you. And what's best for you when you have a broken arm is not to be able to do this. It's for it to be like this, fused. What's best for you when you live in a broken world and when you're a broken person is to have certain restrictions placed around you that keep you from going too far outside the bounds so you don't permanently injure yourself, right? And that's what God has done for us when we broke. He gave us the law to hold us in place. It is God's grace. The law is God's grace for you and me. It is not vengeance. It is not punishment or payback for breaking, for, for what we did in the Garden of Eden and what we keep doing. Some people think God is like this angry, you know, old man sitting up in heaven shaking his cane. You kids, you rebelled against me, so now, now you're really going to get it. That's not how the Father is. The Father loves his 
children. He loves the world. How do I know that? Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Now, granted, not everybody in the world is receiving Jesus, so not not everyone is receiving grace at the same level. But right now, I will tell you this, that the Lord's desire is that all people would receive his grace and all people would experience healing and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And he's offered it to everyone. And his law is a way for us to, to, to be held in place so that we don't wander too far this way or that way and don't utterly destroy ourselves. It is God tempering us. God, God in his grace trying to show us, hey, look, this is the way that you should walk if you don't want to implode. It is God's kindness to give us the law. It is God helping us to maintain our natural shape because he had always planned to heal and restore us. What we don't realize is that before Adam and Eve walked away from him, they carried that shape naturally. They didn't need the law because it was in their hearts, just like Jeremiah. And that's why I read the passage from Jeremiah because God said through Jeremiah, hey, the day is coming again when it's going to be like it was in the beginning. See, when you won't need, you won't need the law Because you're just going to know what's right naturally. It's just just a part of who you are. And you won't need to teach your neighbor because your neighbor is just going to know because everyone in the world at that time is going to be someone who's in Christ and who's been restored. And it's going to be like God planned for it to be at the very beginning. And can I tell you, there's there's no earthly government or constitution that can get us back there. But what can get us back there is if we place our faith in Jesus Christ and if we tell as many people as we possibly can about Jesus and as many people as as possible could come to know him you see if the more people who know Jesus the more people are walking down this road the more likely we're going to have a good and just society so so what does Jesus say well I want to read this passage in context Uh, we've been talking about disciples in the world, we've been ta- calling this, this, uh, this second part of our series on the Sermon on the Mount Diffusers of Grace because we are learning what it means to be salt and light, to be people who project the light of Christ out into a dark world and who apply salt wherever we see brokenness. And we have to start in ourselves, don't we? And then we move out applying salt around us where there's brokenness, wherever we see it. We're the salt of the earth, Jesus says in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. Whatever then, or whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's quite a word, isn't it? (laughs) Quite a word from Christ. 
This is our focus point for today. We're, we're, we're talking about fulfilling the law. We kind of, we know from what we just said why the law exists. The law exists to keep us from destroying ourselves, essentially, right? Because Adam and Eve in rebellion walked away from God and their children. Remember before the days of Noah, how things just kept getting worse and worse and worse. They were unchained. They were unhinged. They were doing whatever they want. And it didn't go well. It ended with a flood that wiped everything out because God said this. Can you imagine God looking at the world and saying, this is irredeemable. I can't do anything to repair this. It's so bad. I wonder if at that point God knew even if he sent Jesus, no one would listen. Not a single person would have been saved except for Noah and his family. And so God said, that's, that's fine. I'll start with Noah. That's the only man of faith in the entire world. And I'm going to try again. And God gave Noah some ground rules, but if you walk down, obviously Noah's descendant, Abraham, got a bunch of ground rules, and and God expanded his covenant from there. And from that point on, there was always a family of faith in the world, and there always has been. And by the way, there always will be. Nobody can stop that. There will always be a remnant of Israel in this world. Can I say, church, you're a part of that today. Because we are grafted in, children of Israel in Christ. we got to claim who we are and live out the implications of who we are. But here we see in the Scriptures, here we see Jesus, Jesus tells us, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. What does that mean? There are Christians and and there are are Bible teachers who will tell you that as believers today, we don't have to listen to any of this stuff in the front of the book, really. That that, that part's over. But actually, Jesus is pretty clear, and he says, not one stroke, not one letter of the law will pass away. He said, I didn't come to abolish it. Can I say something, Christians? You should devotionally read the Old Testament just as much as you read the New. In fact, the Old Testament is bigger For a good reason, because most of what, everything that we have in the New Testament is built on what God taught us in the Old Testament. I don't even like the word testament. Covenant is so much better. (laughs) The writings under the Old Covenant versus the writings under the New Covenant. I I love to think of it as, in, in the Old Covenant, we can think of it as if we, we were saved on credit. But under the new covenant, we're saved on debit. Now, let, let's, let's think about what that means for a minute. It means that Jesus Christ has already done everything necessary. You see, back in, under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant law, we were believing God for a better future. But under the new covenant, We have the better future in Christ. It's already done. Right? When Jesus died on the cross, he spoke the words, Tetelestai, which means it is finished. It's done. The work is completed. Jesus did everything necessary. And in that sense, we can say that Jesus has fulfilled the law. But that is not all that we need to look at here. 
Because the intent of the law for us was to be a guide for repentance, turning away from self and towards the Father, right? Remember, we've talked about this several times, that that one of the primary issues of humanity is that we are self-focused. We're we're self-centered. We become absorbed in ourselves and in our own path and our own way. And we think no one, no one else can, can tell me a better way to live. I, it, only, it can only come from within me. So I, we, we, we send people off on trips to go find themselves. And we take a gap year from college to go find myself. And all these cultural things that, that we hold as valuable. It's all about self. But here scripture says that actually you find yourself when you lose yourself in Christ, Right? Mark chapter 8, Jesus says that if anyone wants to save his life, he'll lose it. The one who tries to save his life will, will actually lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll find it. That's what Jesus says. If you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, he says, you will find it. So I want to say in in verse 17, we see this. He says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. Jesus, his goal is not to free us from our obligation, but to free us from ourselves. That's really important. But I want to define obligation for a minute because I think we, we have a skewed, uh, we have a skewed idea of what obligation actually means in our culture many times. So here's what the, the, the definition of this from the dictionary is. An act or course of action to which a person is morally or legally bound, a duty or a commitment. Obligation is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not. Um, for instance, if I am, if I am uh, walking with one of my children and they fall in the, in the lake, guess what? I have an obligation to go pull my child out. And, and that is an obligation, and that is not a bad thing. And because of the sort of world that we live in, because God is Lord of all, and because this is His universe that He created, and it is, it is a universe that is echoes of, of His character in nature, then every creature in this world has a moral obligation to follow after and obey the Father. It's because it's His world. It's nature The natural thing is to obey God. If we aren't obeying God, we're actually unnatural. We're actually against nature. And we often, in America especially, I think, we think of freedom as as lacking obligation, the, the ability to determine my own path. But that is not the universe that we live in, never has been. There are many obligations that we have out of nature. Think about it for a minute. Um, if I choose to ignore the obligations I have to nature, I'm going to get in trouble. For instance, I may decide, you know, today I don't want to obey gravity. Today I'm going to jump off a bridge and I'm going to float because that is my will and I'm putting my foot down nature. Do you hear me? But what's going to happen when you jump off a bridge? Unless Clarence is there to stop you, you know, Everybody should have a guardian angel like that, you know? Like, hey, listen, uh, let me show you your past that you matter, you know? Um, but unless you have some, someone there to stop you, you know, your gravity is going to do its thing whether you want it to or not. You have an obligation to obey the law of gravity. gravity am I right? 
Uh, yeah, sometimes you just trip and fall or you, you fall off your bed. I'm not mentioning anybody today, but like stuff happens and you hit the ground and it just, it's painful. I learned a lesson of gravity when I broke my arm when I was a fourth grader. Listen, the, the law of God is no less natural than the law of gravity. Matter of fact, it is what all of the laws of this world, all of the laws of nature, are based on obedience to the Father. He set this thing in motion. He created it for His glory. And can I tell you that I think the reason why it seems like the world is always trying to kill us is because we are against the Father? You may be like, what do you mean the world is always trying to kill us? Hey, listen, y'all, we live in Oklahoma. We get tornadoes, we get earthquakes, we get sharknadoes. I mean, I don't know if we actually had that, but we did have a tigernado. We had a tiger quake nado one time. I mean, if any place in the world is trying to kill you, it's Oklahoma. And here we are. And, and look, I mean, all around the world, if you look around, look, there's, there's natural disasters and they keep happening. And it's like this world just doesn't like people. Why? Because we are out of alignment with the character and nature of the Father. Now, if you think about it, this world was created for the glory of God, and we are fighting against the glory of God. So what do you think the world's going to do? It's like when your body goes into defense mode trying to fight a virus. It's going to put everything it has grumbling against that virus and paul talks about this as well how the earth is it's like it's groaning and longing for the day of restoration when things are right again the whole world understands the world knows whether it's conscious or not i don't think mother nature is conscious but the world does know there's something about the world that it knows that something's out of alignment that we were created for god's glory too that we should be walking in tandem with the father and we're not When my wrist was free from the natural constraints of my body, it wasn't good. It, it hurt. Uh, I even remember once I was wearing the cast and I, I was goofing around at school. And we had one, anybody else go to a school that had a pit? You know, where like you, that was cool, right? I, the, the pit was cool. It was like this, this uh, they had like dug out an area in the library and it was layered and you, kids could sit on it, and then they, then they put carpet over it, you know. Um, but it, it was so cool. Like, I kind of still want a pit. I thought that was a really big deal back in the 70s, like, you, like you know, recessed living rooms and stuff. I wasn't around back then. But I've seen, I've seen like, you know, I've seen uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show. So, you know, I, I know something about the 70s. Um, but... But, but here's the thing, like uh, I, I was messing around that pit, I fell over it, even though I was wearing the cast, I hit it and oh, the pain shot down because my wrist moved. It wasn't fun to have my wrist out of whack. I mean, I could move it however I wanted to, I could just say, yo, you know, forget the cast, I could have cut it off myself, I'm free to do what I want, ow, you know. It's... People have lost a lot more than we realize we've lost when we walked away from God's grace. We lost our sense of meaning and purpose. We see that all the time, don't we? 
people are so lost. See, we, we talk about people being lost. We talk about them just not knowing Jesus, right? That's a churchy thing to talk about. And I'm not going to stop talking about that because we need to go get the lost. You know what I'm saying? Like we're called, um, we're called by God to reach people who don't know Jesus. But when we say people are lost, there's another level of depth. They're lost. They're lost souls. They don't know what to do. A lot of people think they have it figured out. They think their career has finally gotten it for them. Or they finally got that relationship that, that, that made them feel good about life. But all those things are so temporary, aren't they? You know, my grandparents were married for 64 years and then one of them, my grandma, passed away. Boy, if, 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 they, if they had built their lives on that marriage... I don't think that, that my grandpa could have gone on. He, he did live for another year. And uh, we had a lot of good conversations about the Lord in that time. But, but, you know, again, it was painful, but his hope was in Christ. Anything we put our hope in that's not Christ is going to disappoint us. It just is. We're lost souls. We lost our sense of meaning and purpose. Look, in the Garden of Eden, before sin, Adam and Eve, they had no question who they were and what they were designed for. They had no question. They knew they were designed to be in that garden. They were designed to, to bring glory to the Father and to have a relationship with Him and, and, to, and to love one another well. They knew they were there to cultivate, to fill the earth and subdue it. They knew that's what they were there for. There was no question. But as soon as sin crept in, everything got all jumbled up and messed up. And then you get to chapter 4 of Genesis and you have Cain and Abel and they're just, they're against one another. Well, not so much Abel, but Cain, he just, he's jealous because God accepted his brother's offering, but God didn't accept his. And he doesn't realize that it was more about the heart than it was about the offering itself. He doesn't know who he is anymore. He doesn't understand why he exists. He's there for the glory of God. He's not there to get whatever he can for himself. You see how things are so out of whack? We lost our natural glory. Pride wasn't even a thing before sin. Like There was no need for pride. Because people were already the most glorious creatures in the entire universe. Think about that for a minute. God's not a creature. He's not created. But outside of God, there was no one more glorious in the universe. We carried the, the physical representation of the Father. The Bible says that man was created in God's image. There is no other creature described that way. No angel, no animal described as having been created in the image of God in all of Scripture. There was no creature more glorious than people. So there was really no reason to have any pride because who else was better? <laughs> they, you just looked up to God and you were like, Lord, thanks for making us like this. This is really cool, you know? Um, and they, and they, they, there was no person to compare yourself against because Adam and Eve both carried the same glory.
It was was a different world. They didn't ever have any need to claim glory for themselves. There was never a need for a comparison. Now, you may be asking, what does all this have to do with Christ fulfilling the law? It has a lot to do with it. Because the picture that we're painting here is the picture of how things were. And it's also the picture of where Jesus wants to take us. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Here's what he's saying, I believe. We could go several different directions here, but I want to focus on one thing. I want to focus on what it means for us. Because let's remember, Christ is calling us to follow after him, to become like him, to walk in his pattern. He called us to be his disciples. And Jesus fulfilled every element of God's law perfectly and never broke it a single time. He is the only one who ever managed to live a perfect life without straying away from God's law even a single time. And the Apostle Paul writes to us in Philippians that he was obedient to the Father even to the point of death on a cross. And if if the law is really about obedience to God, Christ fulfilled it perfectly. And what his example shows us is that God's design for the law is that we would be like Christ, people who naturally follow him because we love him and because our lives have been transformed. People who just naturally live in the way of God, people who live in tandem with the works of God rather than who live outside of it or against it. I'm pretty convinced that when Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law, what he's saying is I want to bring that passage in Jeremiah chapter 31 to fruition. I want to make it come true so that we become the people who have his word written on our hearts. So we become the people who naturally live our lives out of the overflow of what God is doing in us. He didn't come to free us from obligation to do what's right, but he came to free us from the thought in our heads that that obligation is a bad thing or that that obligation takes our freedom away or cages us. Isn't it strange how in the world we think that having restrictions is a cage? But in the kingdom, we're reminded that those restrictions are actually ways in which God is trying to free us from ourselves. He's trying to give us freedom to walk in His ways so we can, so we can truly be free. Here's the deal. I, I'm, I have a lot more I can say about this. I, I'm going to save it for next week because I think we need some time to think on these things. Because Christ says to you and I, He says, I, He says, do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. I want to encourage you with a couple things. The world is a crazy place. No one's arguing about that right now. I don't know what next week is, or what this week is going to look like. I don't. I hope that it's peaceful. I hope that people find a way to get along. But I know that this world is full of broken people who don't have the hope that you and I have. I want to encourage you with something. 
almost forgot to read this. It's an important statement. <laughs> Make sure I find the right one. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, there we go. <laughs> we participate in Jesus' work of fulfilling the law when we live our lives freely out of his work for us and in us instead of living out of the lies that Adam modeled for us. You realize that every time when we live our lives consistent with who Jesus is, when we live our lives out of what Jesus is doing in and through us instead of the lies that we're being told in the world, go, go find yourself, chase after your own desires, those things that the world tells us. You've got to go get yours. You've got to live for yourself. You've got to be true to yourself. When we live based on those principles, we're out of alignment. But when we live following Christ in obedience to the Father, saying that, you know what, no matter what it costs me, no matter how hard it is, I'm going to be, I'm going to fulfill the law of Christ by exhibiting those beatitudes that we've been talking about. By carrying the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And by allowing those things to be the fruit of my life, what's coming out of me, and by applying salt that God has put inside of me by taking that, not keeping it to myself, but throwing it out there so other people hear the gospel through my life and see good works lived out through me. They see what it looks like to live a truly Christian life. And I'm modeling while I'm proclaiming. Do you realize you're joining Jesus in the work of fulfilling the law? Because there's a spark of what Jeremiah said in you. I will write my word on their hearts that you won't even need to teach them anymore because it's going to be so ingrained in who they are that it just comes out, flows out of us. You realize that's God's design for you? And that's God's will for you? And Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to restore you so you could be the person he created Adam and Eve to be. So you can be like Jesus, the person that he modeled for us as the perfect human. That's the work God is doing for you on your behalf, but he's doing it in you also. And he's calling you and I to join Jesus in the work of fulfilling the law. Okay? Can we do that? Can we, do we want to join? Do we have the desire to join him in that? I would encourage each of us to spend some time this week thinking about where we are. Uh, one, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do part two on this next week, but I still have to say this uh, because I think we need to hear it. Um, this doesn't work if you don't truly believe that God loves you. Because if you think that God is the God that we described that some people think he is, the God who's basically kind of out to get you and the law is just so he can, it's sort of like his whip and beating you and keeping you in line. Um, if you view that as the law and how God is towards you, you won't ever really do this because you're always going to just, you may do some good things, but you'll do them out of fear um, and, and not a healthy fear, <laughs> right? Um, you need to believe that God loves you and the reason why he puts parameters around us is because he loves us and he's trying to bring us to a certain place. That's, it's for our good. And, and, and then we have to also ask the question, do we actually want to be free? Do we actually want to be free? And I would, I would encourage us to take some time to think about that this week because um, we need this. We need to have Christ work in us and to fulfill the law in us. And people need to see us live 
a, a life where the truth of God naturally flows out of us. They need to see that from us. So I want to encourage us to walk in the, that way this week. So I want to pray for us. And I would invite you to prayer as well this week. Um, if you're watching online, we want to invite you to, to prayer. You can text the number that we have on there, and we would love to pray for you. If you're here, and maybe you just feel it in yourself. Maybe, maybe, maybe you just feel like, oh man, I just, deep down inside, maybe you don't really believe that God loves you. I, look, I know that's something that people wrestle with. Maybe you believe that God is out to get you. And when you read the Old, te- the old Covenant law, you're just like, wow, it's just so much. He's so hard to please. I don't know if I can ever do it. And maybe deep down inside, you're afraid of that. We want to pray for you because you need to be released from that today. Christ came to fulfill the law of God in you. You have the Holy Spirit. He came to write his word on your heart so that it becomes natural for you. We want to pray for you that you be free from that sense that, that, that the Father doesn't love you or that he's out to get you or that you can do something to make the Father love you less. We want you to be free from that this morning. And if, you're, if you need to receive Jesus in your life for the first time ever, we want to pray with you. So let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that Christ came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. You're, you're not here to do away with the good things. You're not here to create a world that is full of anarchy and craziness. You're here to create a world that is full of natural order and walking in the ways of, of, of the Father, the order of creation, the way things were designed to be in the very beginning to where the whole earth would echo the glory of God. And Father, we know as believers, that it is actually best for us when we are living in that kind of a life. Help us to live as if that's true. And help us through our lives and through our words to show others what a better life looks like, one that is rooted in the Father. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.